Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us is the comms director for Fix Our Senate. FixOurSenate.org is the website. And is it Eli Zupnik? Ellie, thank you for having me on. Ellie, FixOurSenate.org is the website. And the Twitter handle is Ellie Zupnik, E-L-I-Z-U-P-N-I-C-K. Ellie, tell us, what do we need to do to fix our Senate? That's a great question. Uh, So anyone who right now is working on issues or working to change the way the government looks in November needs to understand that unless we fix our Senate, unless we eliminate the filibuster as a tool that Mitch McConnell can use to block anything from the minority, then anything that we're working on right now is just not going to happen. If you care about the climate crisis, if you care about gun safety, if you care about economic inequality, immigration, none of these issues can move. We can't make progress on anything unless we fix the Senate and unless the filibuster is eliminated. So what Fix Our Senate is trying to do is help people understand that connection, that we are all very focused on November. We're all very focused on doing what we need to do right now. We see right now how broken the Senate is with McConnell trying to jam through the Supreme Court nominee in an unprecedented way. So we're making sure people understand that it's not enough to just change things in November. We also need to change the Senate so that we can actually fix our government restore our democracy, and make progress on these issues. Ellie, as the uh, comms director for FixOurSenate.org, I'm guessing you know more about the Senate history than I do. My understanding, but I can't cite an authoritative source for this, and I'm not sure where I learned it, but I've just you know had it in my head for many, many years, is that the filibuster is kind of an extension of the uh, actual Congress. I believe it was a rule that they had passed. I don't think it was a law that slavery could not be mentioned on the floor of the House that provoked John Quincy Adams after he left the White House, after he left the presidency, to run for Congress and take a seat in the House of Representatives just so he could bring up the issue of slavery every single day, much to the chagrin of his peers. The filibuster in the Senate was similarly a process that was designed to prevent basically discussion or action on things like integration or civil rights and that sort of thing. Is there is there a, a larger or broader meaning to the filibuster? When did it come into being? And, and am I correct in assuming that the biggest piece of fixing our Senate, subordinate only to filling it with Democrats, would be, you know, a majority Democrats, would be to blow up the filibuster? That's exactly right. So many defenders of the filibuster like to act as if this was something that was always a part of the Senate, that it was something that was meant to be a part of the Senate. But as you noted, this was something that was created, it was invented later on in the 1860s and through the Jim Crow era to fight back against civil rights legislation. Southern Democrats in the Senate used it to block civil rights bills after civil rights bills. Over 200 anti-lynching bills were blocked using the filibuster. There's a famous filibuster by Senator Strom Thurmond in 1957, where he filibustered for 24 hours to make sure that the civil rights bill that passed was a weakened version. And then in 1964, of course, President Johnson was finally able to break a filibuster and pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act. 
But you're absolutely right that for years the filibuster was used as what President Obama called a Jim Crow relic, that it was something used to perpetuate Jim Crow, to perpetuate white supremacy, and to make sure that civil rights legislation didn't pass. That we saw that through the 60s when it was finally beaten back. And now it's returned from Mitch McConnell, used most often by Mitch McConnell as a tool of pure partisan obstruction to make sure that the new Voting Rights Act doesn't pass, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act doesn't pass, health care can't get expanded, immigration reform doesn't move. So you are absolutely right that, of course, it is a major priority to get Mitch McConnell out of the role of majority leader and to have Democrats in power and able to make these changes. But then it is just as important to make sure that they could actually do those things. And that means not letting McConnell veto things from the minority by just filibustering popular legislation like he's done time and again. So my understanding is that the filibuster is built into the Senate rules. The Senate, the Constitution gives both the House and the Senate the power to basically write their own rules, how they work, what their parliamentary procedures are, all that sort of thing. And that the filibuster is in the Senate rules, that the Senate rules can be changed with a simple majority. The rules themselves are not subject to a filibuster. And that if we get 51 Democratic seats, or even 50 if we have a Democrat in the White House and a Democratic vice president who could break a tie, then we can blow up the filibuster in the rules. Do I have that right? That's exactly right. Is there a consensus across the Democratic caucus about this? There is a growing consensus. There are still those who are reluctant, and that is part of why we're trying to raise awareness and make sure people understand what's at stake. The Democrats in 2013 took some steps to reform the filibuster when Republicans were obstructing every one of President Obama's nominees. Leader Reid made some progress in the right direction. Uh, He is now calling for even more progress. Then Leader McConnell, as we all remember, changed the rules again to get Gorsuch and Kavanaugh onto the Supreme Court with a simple majority. So there is absolutely a precedent for changing the Senate rules with a simple majority especially when it, when we're dealing with level of obstruction, the likes of which we've never seen before. So more and more Democrats are understanding this. What's happening right now, what Mitch McConnell is doing right now with the Supreme Court vacancy is really shining a spotlight on the obstruction. I encourage folks to go to fixoursenate.org and forward slash live for we're having an event this uh, Wednesday with Elizabeth Warren and Jeff Merkley. And folks can tune in and learn much more about that. That should be absolutely great. FixOurSenate.org. Ellie, thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just amazing. Richard in, in Pasadena. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind? What's on my mind is fix the Senate, and I know right. exactly how to do it. We take okay. all those senators who take money from Big Pharma and the fossil fuel and NRA, we eliminate them. That leaves about two or three senators. We do the same thing in the House. We fix the House the same way. Now we've got about 60 or 70 people who don't take money from the big people. They become our Senate. What does that do? That eliminates the House, which means we represent ourselves. We take control of our government. We don't have to have a third person. Those honest people in Congress become our senators. And we tell them what to do, and then they let us know what, yeah. what is good. So are you, are you suggesting, Richard, that we should consider becoming a Greek-style democracy? Uh, and I'm talking 3,000 years ago, Greek, where, well, even that wasn't a direct democracy, because they, although there was, as I recall, 6,000 people in the uh, political body, maybe it was even 6,001, your name was drawn from basically a lottery. I mean, it was like jury duty that you had to serve the government. Or are you suggesting direct democracy, or are you just speaking tongue-in-cheek here? I'm assuming the latter. I'm saying instead of this Republican representative democracy, that we have a Republican democracy, which is the Senate. But what they didn't have is what we are doing right now, 186,000 mile per second communication. That's the difference. Every state can determine, people in each state can determine just by a phone call or an email or whatever, yay or nay. We have it available. Dream on, Richard. I, you know, I get what you're saying, but dream on, sadly. John in West Fork, Arkansas. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hi. It, it's my understanding that any senator can object to uh, unanimous consent and shut yes. down what's, what's going on. My well, they don't shut is, it down. They just It just requires then a majority vote or a 60-person majority vote if it's something subject to a filibuster. 
So is unanimous, unanimous consent usually part of the proceedings when they're holding hearings? Yes. Or, yeah. There are two strategies that the Democrats can use to slow this thing down. The first is objecting to unanimous consent. The second is basically denying a quorum. And I just don't think either one of them are going to get Democrats the kind of time that they need to push this back to the other side of the election. Mitch McConnell has, has uh, gamed this thing out, and he's been doing it with the Senate parliamentarian for years. He knows what he's doing. So I, you know, I'm not real optimistic about that one. John, thanks for the call. Barbara in Chicago Heights, Illinois. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I listened to Nancy Pelosi this morning discuss the 12th Amendment, and she was discussing about there were 26 Republican-controlled legislatures, 22 Democratic-controlled, and I forgot what her explanation was for the other two. I don't know if they're independent or something else. They're split. That's what she said. Okay. She said there had to be a majority in order for that to be effective. So she was talking about flipping. It sounded like she was talking about flipping legislatures. Okay, so... She's talking about that if we're flipping them, they don't, they're not seated until January. So is that, is she's talking about, well, if we do end up with the 12th Amendment, that situation itself, that they can override it because it, in January they can override, they'll have more control as opposed to not having the majority. I don't fully understand it myself, Barbara. Uh, you know, I know how the 12th Amendment works, and I know how it worked back in 1876, and times are a little different now. And Donald Trump, by the way, has said this a couple of times. There's 26 states that have Republican-controlled legislatures, 22 that are democratically controlled, whatever the difference is, two or three where it's split. Whether it's possible to flip those legislatures in time for them to have some say in their electoral vote... Right is a huge question mark. I mean, the deadline, the drop dead date for all of this is January 20th. That's the date that the new president is is inaugurated and that the old president's term of office automatically expires at noon. So if they are expecting that this is going to get dragged past the first of the year, and if these states swear their new congressional delegations in in the first week of January, for example, then, you know, maybe. But if Trump can get this resolved before the end of January, then it may not work. Although there may be some states where, you know, they have the election in November and they swear them in in December. I'm not that familiar with the state by state law. This is the problem with this whole 12th Amendment thing is that so much of it is dependent upon the individual state laws and how they administer their elections. And I tried to do a deep dive on this back in March when I wrote that long article for Alternate about it. And it is really difficult to dig into that information. We're <laughs> still muggy about that. We're still, muggy. yeah, we're still figuring it out. But listen to Nancy. Okay. She's, I mean, you know, if anybody knows, Nancy Pelosi knows. They're doing everything they can. Dave in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Hey, Dave, what's up? I was reading an article, New York Times, by a guy named Adams Gentleson with a J, who was a parliamentarian on the staff of Harry Reid when he was in the Senate about trying to slow up this procedure to get Barrett off the ballot. And it's a procedural deal. It has to do with unanimous consent. Apparently, if one senator objects to a unanimous consent thing, which, of course, they use for saving time in the Senate, now, now you've got to go back and do a quorum and make sure all the, you know, all the people are there in place. Right, you have to have 51 this, senators there. That's right. And, of course, and if the Democrats the, don't show up, that means all the Republicans have to be there, which means that they can't be out campaigning, which is what a lot of them are doing right now. That's exactly right. That's the point I was going to make. Dick Durbin isn't buying it, but it sounds kind of promising to me. I don't know. Did you read it? I did. Yeah. And in fact, oh, we good. talked about it on this program. I'm distressed by the unwillingness of some Democrats to play serious hardball here. I think that this is something similar to war. The stakes are, are literally life and death for people, and 200,000 yeah, have already died. In, I was disappointed in Durban when he was talking to Stephanopoulos. He gave up. I didn't like that. Yeah. Speaker Pelosi was kind of defensive about this, saying, we're going to use all the arrows in our quiver. Yeah, I, heard, I heard that. Yeah, I thought that we will might see. have been one of the arrows. Yeah, right. Yeah, we will see. We will see. Dave, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the call and for pointing that out. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's up? 
Hey, Professor, I know you play some chess. We're going to play a little political chess right now. We've got to stop this nomination. That's how we do it. We're going to bring articles of impeachment, which the House can do, against Donald Trump right now. That stops the Senate cold turkey. Now, they can It doesn't stop the, the Senate, Morris. But they can't, no, no, yes, it does, Professor, unless they change the rules. They can't do no other business when there's an impeachment hearing going on. But it only takes them 51 votes to change the rules, and they've got 53 Republican senators. Okay, now, we're not trying to really impeach the guy. All we want to do is put those Republican senators on blast, Steve. Republicans that My point. And they know that, and they know that this is just an attempt to slow things down, so they'll just get together and change the rules. Okay, well, then let them go ahead and do that, Professor. But anyway, we got to do something, and I think if we bring impeachment and articles of impeachment against Trump, Right now, that'd be the best thing that we can do because we're sitting back watching a guy just summate all of our institutions. I'm with you. I think Trump should be impeached because we want to remove him from office, not because we want to slow down the, the nomination process for Auntie Barrett. But we'll see how it plays out. Morris, thank you for the call. Rennie in Reno, Nevada. Hey, Rennie, what's on your mind today? Piggybacking on what you said about the reform. Do you think that we'd have more forward movement in this country if we have a Democratic Senate, a Democratic Congress, even if Trump wins? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, frankly, though, the, the odds of uh, Joe Biden winning the election for president are greater than the odds of the Democrats taking the Senate, although it's looking increasingly Trump's uh, train wreck. I think it's going to hurt him. I think it's going to hurt the entire Republican Party. So on November 3rd, can there be a whole lot of controversy and conflict of some of the Democratic that might get in as senators and Congress people? Will there be that kind of same kind of fight? Can they fight on November 3rd the same way they can fight with the presidency if they win? I don't know what you mean. I don't so know if mean. a Democrat wins the Senate, the Democrats win the Senate, the new ones and the Congress still. Oh, they're not they're the, not sworn the in until Demo the first the, of the year. Okay. The I'm one not, exception you know, to that, and there might be two exceptions to that, are where there's a special election, and I think it's Arizona, Mark Kelly, you know, versus Martha McSally. But I may be wrong on that. It may be a different special election, but there's one special election that's happening in the Senate where that person is going to be sworn in before the first of the year. Yeah, it is Mark Kelly. Okay, Sean just confirmed my belief. For anybody living in Arizona, I mean, that's a really, really important race. That could take the Senate down to three votes. A lot's going to depend on the timing of all this. And I think this is one of the reasons why Trump is so in such a frantic hurry to get Auntie Amy on the court. Lynn in El Segundo, California. Hey, Lynn, what's on your mind? I wanted to let you know your reassurance earlier meant so much to me when you were sharing your faith that no matter how bad it gets, we can get face the worst case scenario will still be okay because I don't. I find it hard to believe, but thank you for that. I'm calling because there's two well-kept secrets regarding special elections in the Senate. Mark Kelly of Arizona and Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock are running as Democrats. And if they win November 3rd, they could be installed in the Senate by November 30th. So that could right. could change the balance of power um, significantly. And in my best case scenario, Democrats fight to stretch out the nomination process, the hearing, and then it goes until these two get in. And then maybe that would give us some hope that we could not have her get the seat. Anyway, I'm just going to leave with that. Raphael Warnock in Georgia and Mark Kelly in Arizona, let's support them. found it interesting what you said about Wisconsin, because I right now have just finished writing 30 letters with an organization, VoteRiders.com, and I'm sending them to voters in Wisconsin to let them know the deadline to register or re-register is October 14th. So isn't it possible that if we reach out to the people that are so-called purged that they could still vote if they re-register, if they yes. get this information? And depending on the state laws. There are some states where it's mm -hmm. very difficult, New York being at the top of that list. And then there are other, well, not at the top of the list, but in that list. And then there are other states mm -hmm. where it's quite easy to re-register. In mm -hmm. fact, in, I think it's South Dakota or North Dakota, you can, you don't even have to register. They have no voter registration rules. You just show up and, and uh, say, here mm -hmm. I am, and, you know, show some ID that shows that you're a citizen, that you, there are yeah, a resident, excuse me. And, and uh, you yeah, know, and place, that's what so. I see. And in Wisconsin, I have uh, register online by October 14th, register at your clerk's, municipal clerk's office by October 30th, or at the mm -hmm. polls on election day. So, I would hope that those people could, could still vote. 
Thank you for listening. You let me talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what Lynn is doing is the extraordinary and important stuff that so many of us need to be doing. She's doing it by writing letters to people, writing postcards to people. There are other people who are doing phone banking. I mean, there's absolutely no shortage of things that you can do from home right now to dispel feelings of essentially political impotence. You know, oh, you know, it's out of my hands. No, it's not out of your hands. You can do something about it. And there's some great organizations that are organizing this kind of stuff. I think Indivisible is probably the best, or one of the best, indivisible.org. Robbie in Portland. Hey, Robbie, what's up? I wanted to bring up some hypocrisy that I see with the Democrats that I can't quite get behind. Part of it's the Supreme Court nomination. All they have to do is not vote, and it prolongs it until after the election. They're all acting like they don't know what to do. That's not true. Okay. Mitch McConnell blew up the filibuster in the Senate, so it only takes 50 votes, and they have 53 or 54. It only takes 50 votes to confirm her. It only takes 51 votes to have a quorum. The Democrats could refuse to even go to Washington, D.C. Yeah, well, that's the thing. There's more than 50 Democrats. There's more than 51 Democrats, right? All it takes is one. No, there's 47 Democrats. There's 47 Democrats and 53 Republicans. They can't call the obsolete quorum? Because it was to my understanding that I was listening that they could if they refused to vote. A quorum is a simple majority. A quorum in the Senate is a simple majority. It's 51 people. And so if they can get 51 people in there, they don't need a single Democrat. That's to open the hearings. Then they conduct the hearings, and then they hold the vote. And prior to two years ago, had they held the vote, or three years ago, had they held the vote, it could have been subject to a filibuster, and the Democrats could have forced 60 votes. But Mitch McConnell changed the rules. It only takes 51 votes to change the rules. He changed the rules and blew up the filibuster. Now, Harry Reid had changed the rules with regard to district and circuit court judges before that because the Republicans were obstructing those for Obama. This is, you know, when Trump was bragging on during the debate about how he got 200 and some odd judges because Obama just left them there. Obama didn't leave them there. Mitch McConnell blocked any effort to even hear from Obama's judges. But bottom line is the Democrats do not have the power that you are defining. Uh, There are a couple things they can do to slow things down. They can refuse to do unanimous consent, which would force all the Republicans to be in Washington, D.C., which would make the Republicans unhappy. I mean, you know, a number of them are out campaigning or partying or whatever they're doing. And they are doing that. Chuck Schumer's doing that. I guess we'll see how much resistance they put up because it just didn't seem like it. But I guess, yeah, I guess I stand corrected. I thought that they could have created that. I guess I still see hypocrisy, though. And, and one That would have been four years Kavanaugh, ago. I guess with Brett Kavanaugh being in the Supreme Court, you know, it's like the story with Ford. It's like her story doesn't have any evidence. Her story with Ford coming out right before Brett Kavanaugh being appointed Christine Blasey Ford, are you you talking about her friends and witnesses not being evidence? She doesn't know where it happened. She doesn't have anybody that supports the story. Robbie, I think we've pretty much nailed all that stuff down. I mean, we've got we've got the diaries. We've got Tom. Hey, Tom, Tom, let me point out the hypocrisy because Tara. Why why are you saying this, Robbie? I'm I'm baffled. I I just told you. I just told you because Tara Reid has evidence, has people that have supported have come out and supported her side. And you think that Tara Reid came out as like a Russian supported whose side? Joe Biden. What are you talking Joe about? I've, I've never said a word about Tara Reid. Bobby. Yes. Bobby. Tara Reed, you don't I, believe her. I, I, you said I, that it was, you thought it was. No, I did. I, I, I never. Come on, Robbie. Tara Reid is a wonderful person and, and a great blogger. And, and I'm just astounded and offended that you would try to start some sort of a battle between a couple of people. Robbie, you're banned for a while here. I'm not putting up with that crap anymore. On the line with us is Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the guy who represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman Pocan, I don't know if you've heard any of my rants or anything, but my sense is that Donald Trump was not running against Joe Biden. He's running against democracy. He's running against our political yeah. system, against the idea of a, a constitutionally limited representative democratic republic. I'm curious your take. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I felt like he was running against the election. And he also behaved much like that kind of 
big slow kid in elementary school who hits people when he doesn't know the answers. You know, Donald Trump was doing a lot of that behavior. And I think he was trying to get Joe Biden to take the bait more. And in general, I thought Joe Biden did a great job in answering the questions, you know, and I think that Donald Trump didn't accomplish what I think he went into the debate trying to do. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to point out before we pick up phone calls? No, I think that's the the biggest thing everyone's talking about right now. You know, we're down to five, less than five weeks to the election. And, you know, we're hoping to get a COVID bill through Congress. We're going to pass one in the out of the House, I think, this week. Again, a slightly scaled back one, trying to bring the Republicans to the table. But it's pretty amazing that they're not taking the same interest that we are. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Alex in Atlanta, Georgia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, gentlemen, thank you for taking the call. I'm from Atlanta, and I follow politics pretty much since I graduated high school. I'm about 37 right now. And uh, my primary question I would really like to present to our congressman would be with Mr. Trump. Donald Trump is consistently challenging the results of the election. It almost seems inevitable that in the event Mr. Biden, who I'm praying with, <laughs> What are we prepared to do? Is that is this something that we, our representatives, are prepared to embrace on that day, on November the 9th, when the day after the election, if he wants to throw everything under the sun? Because based on everything I can see, regardless of what I'm watching, it, it looks like that's where we're going with this whole thing. Well, Alex, you know, I think we've discussed in some previous weeks that there is a table of folks, uh, major national groups working on this, including people at the CPC, Congressional Progressive Caucus level. They're ready for a number of different scenarios. Some of the best legal minds are there. However, I really think Donald Trump is really setting this up like a backup, like he's hoping it's a close election and then he might be able to pull out winning without winning. But right now, I don't know if that's happening for him. When I look at the polling around the country in places like Wisconsin that are key states, and I look at the polling after the debate last night, two to one, people thought Joe Biden won. I don't see Donald Trump doing anything to expand his electorate. And he can huff and he can puff and he can say all sorts of stupid and racist things, but it's not going to put him any closer to winning the White House. In fact, just the opposite. So there are plenty of people ready, uh, well-prepared for a number of scenarios should uh, they happen. But the best thing that we can all do is get people out to vote, uh, vote early, vote absentee, and make sure that uh, everyone we know who's not supporting Donald Trump gets out to vote and win big in as many states as possible. And then that backup scenario he's working on will never, ever be a reality. Jessica in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, gentlemen. I have a question. In 2016, the election, there were only eight justices on the Supreme Court. Why should the Democratic senators let the Supreme Court proceed when it is not even safe? We have coronavirus. The Republicans do not respect that. They, are, they should say they are not safe to be in those hearings or those votes. Yeah, Jessica, they're going to say a lot of things. We had Chuck Schumer on a call about an hour ago, and they are working on everything they can possibly do to make sure that we live by what the people want. The people want us to wait until we have a new president. That's by every poll out there, and that's why we have elections. And um, they're going to do everything they can. However, there are some limitations. You know, even one of the scenarios that's been out there, which is we could start an impeachment process, would stop everything that's only if Mitch McConnell decides to convene the session in a certain way and he can convene it in a different way and get around that. So they're working on everything possible to slow down the process, to try to you know make sure public opinion is strong enough that it's not a good idea for them to do this, especially before the election. But we just have to reach out to our Republican senators. If you're in a state that has a Republican senator and really express this and work with any group in your local area that's working on this, it's going to take a lot of people pressure to stop them from doing what they're most likely to try to do. We need two more Republican senators. That's what Chuck Schumer reminded us again today. That's really the game. We need to get two more Republican senators to say they won't support a justice until there's a new president elected. Michael in Bronx, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Greetings, gentlemen. How are you doing? I heard your commentary about debates 
And major question that I have and concern. At first, of all, I don't like how it went down where Trump kept talking over Biden and then had the goal to talk over the moderator. I really think that they need to, what's the word I'm looking for, vet these moderators ahead of time because Chris Wallace did a horrible job in controlling everything. I mean, if I was moderator, I would make sure that Trump did not do what he did. I don't know if moderators have the right to cut off the microphone or just simply disqualify the person for not adhering to the rules that they both agreed to. I mean, do you think it needs to be reformed like that? Yeah, Michael, I think if Chris Wallace had the ability to turn off the mic, he would have. And I think that is exactly the way to go forward. If you're going to have a president who's a, a schoolyard bully and about as mature as a schoolyard bully uh, doing what he's doing, you're going to have to have something so you can have a debate that, that looks like it should in the greatest country in the world. And, uh, you know, it was embarrassing. Sure, people around the world were looking at the American people going, how did you ever elect this person uh, to be president? And that behavior was ridiculous. So, you know, I actually give Chris Wallace a little bit of latitude in that if he had a button and could have muted him, that would be another thing. But how else do you stop a blowhard whose whole intent was to come in there and try to rile Joe Biden? Didn't accomplish it, but he just bloviated over and over and over and made it a very unfunctional debate. So, you know, I agree Chris Wallace could have done more, but I think what he really needed, and I agree moving forward, we should hopefully be advocating for ways to silence a mic if someone's not going to follow the rules. I pretty much quit drinking a few months ago, but I had to open a bottle of wine. I couldn't deal with it. I have no stomach to watch any more of these things, frankly. I mean, I'll do it because it's my job, but I'm hearing from my callers who are saying, I have no interest in watching another one of these. That was, that was, that, all that did was give me bad dreams. Do you think that the next two debates, not the Pence debate, I think that'll be probably quite reasonable, but the next two debates should be called off? You know, I think Donald Trump is trying to make Joe Biden ask for them to get called off. That's just my personal opinion. Mm. I think he made it so yeah. awful that then he can blame Joe Biden, doesn't want to debate him, won't, you know, performance drugs, all the blah, blah, blah that Donald Trump says. So I, I think he just needed to do things like cutting off Mike. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Steve in New Boston, Michigan. Steve, you're on the Earth Congressman Pokian. I'm calling in regards to the comment that Donald Trump had made in the 2016 election debating with Hillary Clinton saying that I don't pay any taxes. It makes me smart. 50% of the people don't pay taxes in this country. And being that that's out in the Donald Trump threw all the rich people under the bus, what will Congress do to now investigate all these other rich people who seem to have taken advantage of our tax codes and are not paying their fair share? That's my question. What are we going to do? There's a lot of money out there. We need it. Steve, I think you bring a terrific point up. Donald Trump may have just made a lot of people at Mar-a-Lago less rich um, because he's exposing to the public about how much the tax code doesn't work for most people. Working people, by and large, don't have the same amount of exemptions. And some of them even got rolled back when we gave the giant tax, $2 trillion tax cut to the wealthiest a couple of years ago that Donald Trump did. He actually took away some of the tax breaks that the middle class actually benefited from. So I think, you know, this exposure might be very helpful for those of us who want to see corporate taxes and the highest wealth earners have higher rates again and make sure that, uh, you know, as Joe Biden said, anyone making over 400000 is going to pay more in taxes. But, you know, some of these specialty tax cuts that they have, especially if we can highlight, might be very useful. And I think the American people would be very supportive of changing the tax code. Paul in Taos, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I want to applaud Joe Biden for directly looking in the lens and talking to the American people. The only time Donald Trump did that was to talk to militia and the Proud Boys and white supremacists. That's the only time he spoke to the American people was them. So my question to you, is there any chance that the House of Representatives can censure him as behaving as the commander in chief of white supremacists? And let's call them racist terrorists, by the way. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I did see that as unlikely, Paula. Being one, it's too close to an election. People would see it as political. Two, we're done this week until after the election. And our main goal right now is to get the COVID bill done. And we're working very hard to try to do that. So I totally understand. I don't know if, you know, based on a debate performance, you can censure a president anyway. But I think the American people are censuring him by what I saw, the exit poll surveys where 60% thought Joe Biden won, 28% thought Donald Trump. That's a two-to-one ratio. So clearly 28% of people are going to be with him, even if he goes out there in a full white hood and robes. That's the group that really likes him for who he is. But I don't think it brought him any new voters. Bill in Union Pier, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, gentlemen. Thank you for your service. Your comment on the theory that Trump never anticipated being president. It was not in his game plan. His motivation for running in the Republican primary was to get free media exposure, more spreading of the Trump name and his brand in the mass media. He wanted to piggy bank his success with The Apprentice, launch a talk show, or even channel in the vein of Fox. He made real money for the first time in his life with The Apprentice, and it was using the primary as a launching point. No intention of winning, but unfortunately it fell in his lap. What is your comment on that? Yeah, I think there's a lot to it. He kind of rose out of this free media opportunity with that giant slew of Republican candidates they had going into 16. And, you know, he never was prepared to be president, and he's still not ready to be president, even almost four years into his term. So I do think, though, and I really believe this very strongly, that he is already working towards his next gig, so to speak. And I think when he praises that OAN network and he kind of goes after Fox a little bit, he's trying to see where he can get a better 
deal because I think he's going to try to then go into that kind of media and just bloviate to all the racists and others that seems to have followed his presidency. And that's his next way of trying to make money. So again, it's kind of the same reason he ran in the first place. He'll be leaving doing, but I think I'm watching him set this up. And if he gets a good enough deal from Fox, he'll have Fox. If not, he's got OAN as a backup, but he is going to maybe even start his own network. But I think that's the path he's looking at. Sarah, in Oxford, Ohio, you are on the air with Congressman Pogan. I just have a concern about the envelopes. Ever since Friday, Chris Hayes' nine ballots, you know, that episode, the nine ballots in Pennsylvania. But if you listen closely, you can kind of get a picture that the envelopes for the applications are identical to the ballot envelopes. So if both of those envelopes are identical, could you imagine the chaos it's going to cause? And they can totally claim innocence to it in the end, like, oh, we didn't realize they're the same. Yeah, so that's my concern, the envelope. Okay. A specific state's envelope, I just don't know enough, Sarah, to respond to that, other than, you know, I know in every state people are messaging their state's rules because it is different rules in every state around those absentee ballots. So it's not necessarily a national concern as long as I think there's only – if I remember, I think it's Pennsylvania is the only state that's kind of doing something like this. I could be wrong if there's a state that's not as swingable that is. But in places like Wisconsin, it's pretty clear. I think most states have a pretty good system. And the number for the Senate switchboard is 202-225-3121 or 224-3121. Either one will get you there. Craig in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, I just want to say that Trump is a snollygoster. And I also wonder if we'll reach the Nixon point to where the Republicans will go and tell him either to resign or end his candidacy or some other option. Yeah, I think the difference between this and Nixon with me anyway, my opinion, is that Donald Trump has really made this like a cult, right? The Republican Party is a cult these days, not a conservative political party. And so there's so much loyalty to Donald Trump for his largely is racism, right? That's the number one attraction to him by his supporters, that too many Republicans are afraid to take him on to upset that base. So Donald Trump has achieved a somewhat of a cult-like status, and that's why I think it's harder than what you saw when uh, the situation occurred with President Nixon. So the best thing we can do is do everything we can to get people who think like us out to vote and defeat him in as many places that all his backup plans he's trying to throw against the wall right now, none of them will stick because he will have lost in enough places outright on Election Day. Brian in Lake Worth, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, I have something of grave concern and something of the utmost urgency, and I don't say that lightly, and it could also be Donald Trump's kryptonite. That is, I don't understand why, ever since we've learned about the finances of Donald Trump and how much money he owes, and we do not know who he owes it to, I believe that that man needs to be immediately stripped of his presidential powers. And so this is something Homeland Security should do. And act as if he just had a stroke and just set him aside, swear in Pence as the vice president until we can get this straightened out. He cannot sit in the Oval Office with that hanging over his head. He's too much of a risk to this nation, and that has to happen. As far as I'm concerned, it should have happened Monday. Thank you. Yeah, Brian, I mean, if we were trying to give out security clearances to people, people with really high debt would be able to get them. But Donald Trump got elected, unfortunately, by the Electoral College in 2016, and there's not much you can do just because he has debt. Now, having said that, I think a lot of people could look at him now and wonder if his whole presidency has been about boosting himself and trying to profit and get himself out of the hole, that he's got to pay a whole lot of loans in a very short amount of time, and what else is he selling out in order to take care of himself personally, because this whole presidency has been about taking care of he, his family, and his businesses. But I don't know if there's anything directly you can see government do because he has debt, because he got elected. But it is ironic that he never would have gotten security clearance as a federal employee with that kind of a debt. I'm quite sure of that. Nick in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm wondering, like the Oscars and your hard breaks, why not fade in music when time is up and maybe incorporate a mechanism that automatically cuts off the mic so that that bloviating spewer doesn't stop his barbaric yapping, you can blow a foghorn, but it wouldn't allow them to continue. <laughs> but anyway, my question is about an October surprise. 
since we know that Trump is a psychopath, he'll stop at nothing to remain in office, especially since he's facing prison. What could possibly be bigger and more shocking and traumatic than 9-11 or initiating or provoking a nuclear war? They've established a so-called space force. And there's been a lot of credible reporting by military pilots, radar, and ground tracking facilities and such. What is the Democratic Party going to do when Trump plays the UFO threat card and claims there's an impending attack by malevolent space aliens? Or uh, Nick, more practically, all, I, perhaps. Back in 2012, he tweeted that any minute now, Barack Obama is going to start a war with Iran in order to get right. himself reelected. He clearly thinks that way. Yeah. First of all, I like Dick's other suggestion about the music being the fade out, nice and loud music, so you can't hear the person. So, Nick, thank you for that, because I think that or turning off a mic or, you know, at some point a shock collar. I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to do something to make a debate more like a debate. <laughs> I, I, think what, <laughs> I think what he is trying to set up right now is the idea that he's going to have a vaccine. I mean, he's been signaling this. And Donald Trump is pretty good about signaling things. He's good at repetition because he knows people need repetition. He's, a, I think, an amazing self-promoter. And I think that's what he's setting up right now is that he's going to somehow say there's a vaccine. The good news is I talked to Dr. Fauci a couple of weeks ago about this. The president can't just do that. Even with the FDA, there's several independent panels that must approve anything that have people like Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins from the NIH are on these special panels. And I think that's where he's going to try to pretend there is. But I think we all know there could be something by the end of the year. And there could be tens of millions of doses in the first quarter and hundreds of millions in the second quarter. But it's nothing before the election. But I think that's what Donald Trump is going to try to spin, that not only did not millions die, only 200,000, as crazy as that argument is, that he has a, a vaccine. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. 
After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. John in Cambria, California. John, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Regarding the vaccine, when that was brought up, Donald Trump said that he believes they'll have a vaccine by November 1st and that he's already worked out logistics to mobilize the military to distribute that vaccine. Now, do you think that was a slip of the tongue that he really is doing that, but not to distribute the vaccine, but to mobilize the military for what may happen after the election results? You know, honestly, I think when Donald Trump's talking, he's lying, right? So you just got to assume it's Donald Trump putting out, you know, all the different messages that he does. I do think, though, that he is trying to signal that he's going to claim there's a vaccine. But, you know, there's six major drugs that I know of, according to Dr. Fauci, that are in third phase trials, 30 to 60,000 people involved in that. You're not going to have that by November 1st. It's extremely unlikely. And regardless, you wouldn't have distribution until first quarter of next year. So this is Donald Trump just being Donald Trump. I don't think he was signaling anything with the military. And quite honestly, I'm not sure if the military would come to his aid if he tries to abuse his office. So I understand the angst and worry that people have about that. I would take every bit of that angst and and worry and channel it into every time he does that to you, find 10 more people to vote against him. And if we all do that, we're not going to have to worry about any other scenario on November 3rd. Melvin in Columbus, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I was wondering, Bill Barr has been nothing but a Trump personal attorney instead of an attorney general for the United States. And I was just wondering, why haven't there been any action taken to impeach him? Because there's certainly enough wrongdoing to charge against him. We're in a final week before an election. Anything done this time of year is going to be seen as electoral, not based on what I agree with you, many solid reasons why Bill Barr has not been the attorney general for the United States, but he's been Donald Trump's personal attorney. You know, I really hope that when Donald Trump loses, we still go after the crimes that he and his administration did, because I think it's important for the future of the presidency, for any president of any political party in the future, that they don't do what Donald Trump did. Uh, This has been truly unusual by every standard. And I hope that people like Bill Barr have to still pay at the end of the day, even if it's into 2021 or 2022. Do you expect that to happen? I mean, are you hearing that from your colleagues? (laughs) I think a lot of my colleagues would love to go in that direction. I think the question will be, what does Joe Biden want to do and how hard will he push it? Because don't forget, he'll now be in charge of the attorney general's office. But I think if you throw in Hunter Biden one more time and take Bode Biden's name and drag it through the mud, we might have uh, someone who understands the issue like many of us in Congress do. Amy in San Diego, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Donald Trump has said that the only way he can lose is if we cheat. So you guys are saying if we come out in overwhelming numbers, then it's over. I don't think so. Why do you guys think that? Uh, Andy, I truly believe that because at that point, Republican senators and Congress people and governors are going to look out for themselves because they'll realize Donald Trump is now yesterday's news. And you know, you can see from their comments that they've said we will have a peaceful transition of power. I truly believe this is just Donald Trump. And at that point, if we have a big win, if you win Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, maybe Georgia, Arizona, Florida, if you start winning like that, it's done. Yeah, he will have no other option. He'll probably do a bunch of sleazy executive orders to benefit his family between then and uh, January. But other than that, it will be over. So honestly, you can't do anything to stop those other scenarios personally right now, but you can do everything you can to get people out to vote. So I just want to focus everyone on taking any angst or energy or anxiety or anger and put it towards getting people out to vote that will vote against Trump. If we do that, we will be doing the best thing in the next less than five weeks we can possibly do. Carl in Ocala, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. States, basically red states, their legislatures reelecting an alternate electoral college representation group to go and vote in Trump. I did a little research, and I believe I'm correct in stating that all 50 states have legislatively granted the inalienable right to their representation selection through the process called voting. 
is that, in your estimate, a pretty challengeable in case we should see that alternative action by some state legislatures? Yeah, I think it's going to be a very difficult path. And let me give you a number of reasons. And I did a little research on this because we've been asked this a few times, and I think it's a very fair and valid question. First, you have to have your lectures done by election day. You, you do this in October across the country. So it's not like you can do it after the fact. So they would have to signal something before the election, which I don't think we're going to see in states. In the key states that you're most nervous about, Many of them, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, have Democratic governors that can veto any action. Also, Wisconsin statutes don't allow the legislature to do that, actually. So even though you could say it's a scenario, it's not allowed. They'd have to change the statute first in order to do that. And again, the governor could veto something. Only Arizona and Florida have Republican governors. So you've already taken that number down of states that where it could be manipulated and taken it seriously down. So, one, the law says you have to have the electors in place by Election Day. And two, it just doesn't work quite as simply as it looks like with those Republican majorities. So people are still, trust me, ready for this and other scenarios. But this scenario seems less likely given some of those facts. Sandra in Omaha, Nebraska, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. When Biden gets in, and I'm going to say when, an awful lot of the people that Trump has put in power has sidestepped Senate approval. Can he just tell all of those people, you're gone, day one? and then fill those positions with a 30-day appointment for somebody and then get the Senate to actually do what they normally should be doing and approving appointments? Or does he have the power to do that? You know, I think you're going to see an aggressive agenda. If we have the Senate, it's going to depend on how many votes. What are they going to do about the filibuster? I think you've got a few questions that have to be answered first, Andrea. But I do think that many of us who look at the first six to 12 months of Barack Obama and look back at what we should have done, I think are ready to make sure we don't make those mistakes in 2021. So I think that many organizations are working around this. And we know it's central is many of the democracy reforms that we need to do that will impact every other issue. So I think rest assured is going to be an aggressive uh, push by many national organizations to make sure we have an agenda. And lastly, if I could just say, Sandra, you know, you your state's unique because you break out your electoral college votes and you also also have one of my favorite congressional candidates in the country, Kari Eastman, running. And I hope that everything you could do to help her, as well as you're helping Joe Biden, it's going to be important because I would love to have a good, solid, democratic, progressive member of Congress from Omaha, Nebraska. And she's a really great person. And it would send a lot of messages nationally when, you know, Omaha is, is sending someone like that to Congress. Thoughts on this coming week? This You said this is the last week Congress is in session? What should we be looking yeah, at? Yeah, the House is a Senate technically is also in, yeah, the Senate also may be in, week, uh, in session next week, although they're thinking they may finish this week, except for, of course, trying to move the Supreme Court justice forward. I talked to Tammy Baldwin on Sunday, and she indicated that is their calendar. Ours is done this week, although we're going to be open at any time to come back to do the COVID bill. So I think that's the things to watch, but really just the election. You know, I think, you know, really we are transitioning to that final month before the election. This is all efforts have to go towards getting out voters. We can't let Donald Trump sidetrack us. Can't let him create chaos that diverts us. We can't let him turn anyone off from voting. We've got to be as active as we've ever been in this election. Amen. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. Great talking with you. Thank you, Tom, as always. Appreciate it. On the science revolution this week, Trump never noticed a modern-day American disaster. He's trying to spread the virus as far and wide as possible. We should call this today what history will call it when it looks back on this moment, genocide. David Kraft with the Nuclear Energy Information Services here. It's time to end Exelon's nuclear hostage crisis. Climate risks are compounding financial challenges for Midwest nuclear plants. Plus, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist II of Michigan drops by to explain that racism is a public health crisis. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Tanya Sanarev is on the line with us. She is an international legal director and senior attorney with the Center for Biological Diversity. And the uh, biologicaldiversity.org is the website. And uh, Center for BioDIV is the Twitter handle. And the lead author on a new report, America's Massive Wildlife Imports Fuel Global Pandemic Risks. Tanya, welcome to the program. Tell us about this. 
the main point here, Tom, is guess what? The U.S. is a big part of the problem when we look at pandemic risk worldwide. We take up 20% of the global wildlife trade. And I don't think most people realize that. 20% of the global wildlife? I don't think the average person has any idea about this. This isn't big game hunter. I mean, what is this? Our report looked specifically at three kinds of animals. We looked at bats, rodents, and primates. Why did we look at those guys? Well, they are the animals that right now, of all the zoonotic viruses that we know about, and these are just the known ones, these species harbor 75% of those viruses. So when we're thinking about future disease risk, these types of animals They're a big player. And it turns out the U.S. over a recent five-year period imported over 20 million parts, products, bodies, skins, jewelry, blood samples, you name it, from bats, primates, and rodents. Wow. And bats brought us SARS and COVID, and rodents brought us the the bubonic plague via their fleas. And I'm assuming other diseases, uh, you know, there's a virus down in the southwest that rodents spread through their urine. And then primates, of course, brought us HIV AIDS. I'm sure there's other diseases. Absolutely. Absolutely. But one of the really interesting things that we found in this report and doing this analysis is the majority of those imports into the U.S., there are dead animals. We do some amount of live trade in in bats and rodents and primates, absolutely, but the vast majority of our imports are dead. And that means that the U.S., while our disease risk isn't that high because dead specimens aren't as risky as live animals are, it means that we're outsourcing our disease risk. And so we analyzed the top five exporting countries for all three bats, rodents, and primates. And guess what? China made the list for all three. And that means Hmm. that we've been pointing our finger at China saying they're the problem here for this disease. But in fact, U.S. consumer demand is a part of the problem. We have demand for bats, rodents, primates. They're all coming from China and other global hotspots around the world. So we can't just point our fingers at other countries. That that was one of the things that really leapt out at me. The other part of the analysis we did is... We looked at why are we bringing these, these animals across our border. And it turns out commercial demand, so things that people buy at stores, they made the top three reasons. So it's commercial demand, scientific research, biomedical research. Those are the top three right, reasons. And, the, and so right, for us as consumers, right. we're importing bats encased in acrylics for paperweights, primate skulls and skeletons to decorate our homes, and rodent fur for fishing flies. Really? Wow, for fishing flies. That's amazing. Basically, trinkets. We're looking for trinkets. And that's what's fueling our demand for the wildlife. And that's a huge problem from a disease risk standpoint. Right. So essentially what we're doing is we're going to poorer countries around the world and we're saying, go into your most pristine habitats. Go into the areas where humans don't normally go and acquire these animals so that you can sell them to us and we will give you money. And then when those people are interacting with those animals, they get diseases. And ultimately, those diseases can go worldwide, as we've seen with everything from HIV to to SARS to COVID. And geez, what a mess. You know, what's the solution to this, Tanya? Is it legislative? Is it cultural? What do we do about this? All of the above, definitely. So I think the first thing, the most important thing that the U.S. needs to do, and this is true for the U.S. and other big consumer markets, the EU, China, Japan, we are the main consumers of wildlife around the world. We need to throw up trade moratoria. We need to put in place a ban and say we're drying down U.S. demand. So that's the first thing that Hmm. we have to do. Obviously, that's going to have ripple effects around the world. So we need to have funding for transitions of livelihoods away from the wildlife trade to other professions. And then the other key thing is that we have to work on conservation of biodiversity. We're in the midst of an extinction crisis globally. The U.S. needs to refocus our priorities and ensure that we're leading in this quest to conserve nature. It's a lot. It's a lot we have to tackle. But if you listen to the scientists, what they're saying is we have to transform our entire relationship with nature. And that starts with the wildlife trade ban. Do you have any champions in Congress? Well, interestingly, just yesterday, a bill was introduced by Cornyn and Booker, and it's a great start. Basically, what it does is it would end wildlife markets in the U.S. 
it provides a lot of funding for the U.S. to work globally, not just on getting rid of wildlife markets, but also on conserving nature, which I just said is really crucially important, enforcing wildlife laws. And then it would restrict U.S. imports and exports of live wildlife, just terrestrial species for food and for medicine. So it's a really good first start, but I think that we have a lot more work to do. Yeah, that's remarkable. That's uh, John Cornyn of Texas and Cory Booker of New Jersey. That's correct, yes. Tanya, it's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it with with us. And, and I'm assuming people can get all the information they need about this over at biologicaldiversity.org, your organization. That's your absolutely website. right. Great. Tanya, thank you so much. Tanya Sanareb is the International Legal Director and Senior Attorney with the Center for Biological Diversity and the lead author of this new report, America's Massive Wildlife Imports Fuel Global Pandemic Risks, and uh, really worth checking out. Tanya, thank you again for dropping by. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. My, My pleasure. Keep up the great work. You are doing God's work. It's important stuff. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.